Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reed, and today on the program I have with me Lavinia Plonka. Welcome, Lavinia. Well, it's nice to be here. Today we're going to be discussing Feldenkrais and body movement in general and how that can relate to one's health. Can you explain for the listeners how you became involved in this area? Well, that's a really good question to ask because so many times when people look towards something that's supposedly alternative, they do it because they've tried other avenues and have found no results. And that was really my experience. I was a physical performer and toured around and performed a lot using my body and was in a lot of pain by the time I was in my mid-30s and just kept on looking for different ways of how could I continue to keep doing what I love doing and feel good about myself. And during that process, I stumbled upon some books by a man named Moshe Feldenkrais. And his idea that our movements and our uh, comforts and discomforts are all the result of habitual ways of using ourselves that have developed through our lives just really struck a chord for me. And I started taking some classes. Uh, This was back in New York City and found, lo and behold, my pain went away. And this made me so interested that I went and enrolled in a program to actually go deeper into the Feldenkrais Method and found that not only did I you know, get rid of my pain, but I found that it changed my life. I became healthier. I became more able to look at life in a more mature fashion. And I really began to realize that the body reflects the mind, reflects the emotions, and if you can kind of improve the way you are physically through your movement, then you improve everything else. Hmm. And I never looked back. Hmm. Fascinating. So so after you enrolled in the course, what did you do next? Well, the course is four years. Oh, so, four years. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, not the, not, it's not the whole year, but it, right. it, it's over the course of time. And, and that was really because Feldenkrais believed that you don't try to cram everything in at once. You need time to absorb. You need time to process. Mm, to integrate. And, mm. Right. And so I had no intention when I began this course uh, of becoming a Feldenkrais teacher. No. By the no. end of the four years, I just felt like this was such marvelous work mm. that I wanted to help others mm. feel as good as I did. And so gradually I mm. just made a, a transition. Right. And here I am today. <laughs> yeah. So where are you today? Just explain to the listeners how you use it now. Um, obviously, it has become my profession now. I am a Feldenkrais practitioner. Right. And um, I have my own center in Asheville, North Carolina in the U.S. Right. Where um, I see people privately. I teach group classes. And then because of my background in the theater and my real interest in how the mind body connection relates to how we express ourselves, I began teaching workshops that have led to the book that you have there, as well as an upcoming book that explores this relationship of our postures, our habits, and our bodies to our emotions and our health. So I write, I teach, I teach workshops around the country, and I'm always trying to find ways of um, creating a synthesis amongst disciplines so that different people can Mm. begin to benefit from this marvelous work. So adding another dimension, if you like, to healthcare. Yes, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. 
And who was Feldenkrais? Well, Moshe Feldenkrais was uh, many things. He was an engineer. He was born in 1900 and died in 1984, I believe, around 80 years old when he died. Uh, he was more well-known in Israel, where he emigrated to as a young man, um, certainly well-known in Europe, and didn't really come to the United States until the 70s. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he died in 84, so the, the work itself has continued kind of growing slowly and organically, I'm sure just the way he would have liked it as people begin to really feel how to embody this work, mm. then more and more people are studying it. Okay, so it is becoming more popular, better known. Absolutely. As yeah. The more people learn how to pronounce his name, <laughs> the more people begin to study it. Yeah, the more it becomes known. It's, it's almost like a lot of things that are happening on the planet at the moment. It's time now for us to move into this aspect of healing. Almost as if uh, our old sort of mechanistic paradigm of yes. I, I am a head that has a body has changed to this realization of I am a mind and body. Mm. And Feldenkrais actually, you know, way back in 1947, said the mind and the body are the same thing. He didn't say it's a mind-body connection. He said they're the same thing. Right. And therefore, they communicate backwards and forwards? Instantaneously. Right, yep. Well, that fits our, our paradigm of the neurological system at the moment. That is that you have signals that go out from the brain to move the body, but you also have signals coming from the body back to the brain as feedback about that right. movement. So how does that fit with Feldenkrais? Well, the actual work itself, truly does work with the nervous system and how the nervous system communicates through the entire organism. Uh, you know, almost in a, in a, I don't want to say holographic in the sense of you're just thinking of, you know, the, the pictures, mm. but in the sense that, that in a hologram, every little part reflects every other part. So that as you do a movement, even with your, I mean, you could feel it right now if you just slowly lifted one finger if you really attended, you would feel how the movement of that one finger would echo through every part of yourself. And so if you change just one little thing, you change everything in the system. Mm. So the system, it, it becomes a bit um, inhibiting in some ways, though, doesn't it? You, you almost sort of just want to not breathe <laughs> in case you make a mistake. <laughs> Oh no, Feldenkrais loved mistakes. Okie doke. Oh, yes. They're a reason, they're, they're a, an opportunity to grow and learn. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that is how we learn, is, mm -hmm. by, is by doing things, trying things. I mean, mm -hmm. if you think of an infant, for example, you know, everything an infant does is trial and error. Yes. In terms of trying to lift their head or trying to figure anything out, it's like, okay, that didn't work, let me try something else. Okay. It's about experiencing oneself in every moment. And so you lift your finger and you go, oh, well, that was interesting. You know, that, that didn't feel quite right. Let me try it another way. Feldenkrais mm -hmm. actually, his method was about choice, not about limitations. Okay. But in so doing, you notice your limitations. Well, your perceived limitations. Yeah, sorry. That's, yeah, you perceive <laughs> what you are currently being limited by. Well, yeah, and, but also your, literally your perceived limitations. In other words, what your 
what you think your limitations are, yes. what you've been taught your limitations are, yes. what you've convinced yourself your limitations convinced. are. Yes, absolutely. So what you've been indoctrinated to believe. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and all of that can shift. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid, and I'm speaking to Lavinia Plonker about the Feldenkrais Method. We were just discussing how your movements can very much uh, reflect what your thinking is doing, or your beliefs, I guess. What's some sort of fairly specific examples that you can think of in which this uh, increases people's awareness, perhaps, of their limitations? Well, again, I like to say that it increases awareness of people's possibilities. Uh, instead of focusing on the limitations, but okay. let's say for let's say for example that you are not aware that you're constantly rounding your shoulders, right? And and your head is sort of reaching forward, but what you are aware of is that you have chronic back pain, mm-hmm. and and maybe even occasional neck pain, and so you're aware of your pain but you don't understand that those two pains are the result of your skeletal system and your muscular system desperately trying to keep you from falling over because you've you've rounded so far forward. And as you begin to do the small, subtle movements that the Feldenkrais Method invites you to do, you begin to become aware not only of how you carry yourself, but you begin to discover other options for how to and how to move, and you often become aware of the fact that you're maybe tensing those shoulders and pulling the head forward because something makes you kind of insecure and frightened, and this is a safer place to be. And so you want to round your shoulders so that maybe you don't want people looking at you, or maybe you don't want to open at your chest, and and I'm generalizing big time. Sure, and so when you sit with people as a therapist, do you give them that sort of feedback and is it like almost sort of counselling in that they can gain some awareness on their own patterns of behaviour? Oh, that's a wonderful question. And actually, no. We don't, I, I don't ever point out to people what I see about them in that way. Instead, through the process of our working in movement together, often without any words whatsoever, this person becomes aware of their mm. pattern on their own, mm. and we don't analyze it. In other words, the, the sort of the emotional discovery that I just spoke to you about, mm-hmm. that's something that a person will come to on their own. It's not something that mm-hmm. I would ever say, well, has it ever occurred to you that you're shy? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, mm-hmm. I would never do that. Mm-hmm. Because maybe that person has another reason yes. for rounding their shoulders. Yes, yes. So, so instead, what we do is we explore the pattern of movement around that particular choice. Perhaps mm-hmm. we'll round the shoulders more. Perhaps mm-hmm. we explore how that interferes with breathing. Perhaps we'll do movements that um, invite deep reflection or rounding of the head. There's so many ways to work with the body, and then through that process, the person makes the discovery. Mm. We don't even call ourselves therapists. We call ourselves teachers. Yes. Okay, so so in other words, it doesn't need to come to their thinking consciousness. So long as it comes to consciousness and is resolved, that's the um, aim of the therapy. Right, absolutely. People, mm-hmm. sometimes there are no words. No, you don't need to interpret, you just need to feel. Mm-hmm. 
Right. They mm-hmm. don't have to. They don't, you don't have to do that intermediate step. <laughs> right. Right. Fantastic. I like it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Seems to me that we're getting this mind well out of the way, which is very uh, often very helpful. <laughs> By the same token, we encourage people to pay attention. Okay. Not not just with the mind, but with the sensory yes. awareness. Okay. So pay attention to what? Pay attention to your sensation, right. to your comfort, right. to the way you do things, mm-hmm. to the differences between one side and the other side, yes. to the differences you experience before and after a movement. Right. You know, there's, there's a zillion things that we can pay attention to every moment that enrich our lives. Right. So say, for example, I came to you, I have um, always got trouble with my right leg, lots of injuries know that it's something, not sure what it's about, how would you run me through the process? <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, without having ever seen you. It, well, you'll just have to do it by feel. Okay. It, it, and you'll have to do it real time, even though you're 10 hours behind. <laughs> right. First thing that we would do is you would, you would tell me some of the some of the ways that you've experienced injuries and limitations on this right side, and I would listen. So in the beginning, it's always good to sort of meet the person. And then, then we both would observe in standing what some differences are between your right side and your left side, mm-hmm. perhaps how you hold weight, how you carry yourself, you know, are you holding one side differently than the other side? And we would do that through a combination of perhaps shifting weight, gentle touch, different kinds of reaches, so that we could both feel, well, well, what is the difference between Virginia's right side and her left side? Mm-hmm. That everything always happens on the right. Mm-hmm. And then we might observe walking and see if there's a difference in the way you step, your gait, your carriage. Mm-hmm. Then after that, we would possibly, probably lie down on a table. Mm-hmm. And when I work with people privately, we have a table. It's different from a massage table in the sense that it's lower and it's wider. Mm-hmm. So it gives the person who's lying down space for movement. And then while you're on the table, we would begin to explore how your question, my question about my right leg, relates to different ways that you organize your ribs, your neck, how you turn, how you roll to the side. And we both start to begin to understand different aspects. Perhaps there was an injury, I don't know, to your ankle as a child mm. that caused you to protect that um, the whole right side. So that, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many different things that happen as mm. we work mm. together. So we would see, are there specific places, for example, in the leg that have completely tensed up? Right. Are things that the right leg does better than the left leg so that you end up depending on it so much that it collapses underneath you periodically. Right. Um, do you have some sort of pain in your hip that's causing you to protect a side? All of these things we begin to explore hmm. through movement. Right. Through very slow, gentle movements that you can attend to. And do people in the course of the therapy come up with their own answers as to why they may hold themselves, perform bodily in that way? Do they come to consciousness, things that they have forgotten, etc.? Sometimes. Sometimes it's very profound. Right, so you get emotional releases. You know, um, sometimes people will 
remember abuse right. or, yeah. or an accident that they had completely forgotten about. Right. And sometimes they don't remember anything, but they just feel better. Right, yes, of no, course. Really and that's the name of the game. <laughs> right. Feeling better. Absolutely. Well-being. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not always looking for a psychological connection. No, so long as uh, that's it. I mean, it may not happen on that level of consciousness that is able to communicate to another human being, for example. Right. It, it also could be just simply the result of a habit that developed yep. at a certain point that was completely forgotten. Yes. And, and, and is still completely forgotten, but the body unwound the habit. Yes. And so it's irrelevant whether you, you figure it out or not. So its main gain comes in lack of bodily pain? Um, no, not just that. Although right. that is certainly one of the p- things that people usually come to Feldenkrais yes. for. Yes, yes. Often they come because of that, or they come because they've experienced a limitation. For example, many dancers, musicians, athletes, they come because, you know, they've, they've hit a wall yes. in their performance. Right. And they want to go further. Right, but you've perceived that the technique is actually useful for the general public as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's been your sort of mission, if you like. Well, yes, and also it's a wonderful way to maintain function as we age. Right, okay. Um, because because you, be, you learn how to use yourself more intelligently, more fluidly, mm. so you have more available to you for a longer amount of time. Mm. Many of our problems as we age are the result of habits mm. that we developed when we were young that are no longer functional. Yes, so true. Adaptation so, is the key. Right. So yep. the older population benefits tremendously from this work because mm. it's not stressful. Mm. I always say the only reason the Eiffel Tower is still standing of all those wonders that were built at that time was because she had a damn good engineer who realized that she needed to be flexible or she wouldn't survive. And, of course, she is and she has. Right. And that's why right. she's still standing right. and, uh, you know, earns them a lot of money. <laughs> and it's and a national monument. So I, I take your point completely. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Wellbeing and, um, among other things, Lavinia Plonker and I are discussing Feldenkrais and the mind-body connection. Uh, recently, oh, I'm, I'm not sure actually, I shouldn't say recently, but you have a book, What Are You Afraid Of? And that has been around for some time. A couple of years, okay. It came, out, it came out in 2003 and it came out in paperback last year. Okay, so it should be readily available to all listeners. Absolutely. Terrific. And can you just tell me a bit about that book? Sure. It is the outgrowth of workshops that I had been teaching. Uh, when I had been working with people privately, many times people realized that some of their pain was the result of holding, that was the result of various kinds of fears. Mm-hmm. that they had lodged in themselves. And this interested me so much that I began to try to give, I began to give workshops to uh, allow others to explore how using Feldenkrais might help them address fears that they have in their lives. And then, of course, at a certain point, somebody went, you know what, this material is so interesting, you should write a book. Mm-hmm. That's really basically how it happened. And I fantastic. thought, well, let me try it. Oh, Fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great way of communicating to a large number of people. That's my hope. So what is in the book? What sort of, who, who might be interested in the book? Well, anyone who feels that, um, either, either anyone who openly acknowledges that 
fear has in some way interfered with them getting what they want in life, or anyone who feels that things are just not going their way and they don't know why and suspect that there are different fears or anxieties that are keeping them, that are getting in their own way. And I'm not talking about, I mean, fear is an important emotion for us to have if you are in a dangerous situation Mm. or if you're trying to protect someone. But in our culture, fear has become a habit. And um, because we're not running away from predators on a regular basis, Mm. we sort of take this fear and live with it on a daily basis. Mm. You know, every time you get in your car, you're risking your life way more than a, a person who lives in a tribal village a thousand years ago. Sure. Plus, I'm almost afraid of not knowing if it's faster to get there this way or that way. There's so much choice. Right. That's one kind of fear. Yeah. The the fear of being wrong. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But but there's so many levels of it. So fear of being wrong, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of abandonment. um, and, And all of those things get lodged in our bodies. And so what I've done with this book is I've taken these very common fears that we think are nothing, we think are inconsequential, and talk about how they interfere with our living a fully functional life, mm-hmm. and then offer some Feldenkrais ways of exploring how to come back to a place to address these fears in myself in a kind of elegant, unstressful fashion. So when you say elegant, unstressful fashion, just some simple exercises, floor exercises, or you, you some give some specific examples? Absolutely. There's yep. illustrations. And I also, on my website, I have free audio downloads okay. of all of the Feldenkrais lessons that are in the book. Okay. So what is your website, if you wouldn't mind, for the listeners? Sure, it's easy. It's uh, com. Right, so that's www.laviniaplonka.com. Right. Great. And can they order the book through there? Well, they can. There's a direct link there to the ubiquitous Amazon.com. Right. <laughs> so, but they can also get it through their local bookstore. It's, it's put out by a major publisher, and so you can, if people prefer to support their local bookstore, they can just ask there. It's easy enough to get. And we have Feldenkrais therapists in Australia. How would people find, do you know, how they would find their local therapist in Australia? There's at, well, if they wanted to use the web, of course, they could get it through um, the web as well. So it's just Feldenkrais, they'd put, which is F-E-L-D-E-N-K-R-A-I-S? I-S. And if they, um, I'm just trying to see if I can bring it up quickly, if they, if they Google Feldenkrais Australia, they will actually come up with a specific site. Mm. And in that site, they can very easily find a whole list of Feldenkrais practitioners and their locations. Mm. I know we have one in Newcastle and King Street in the main, main part of town. Yeah, which is, you know, another avenue I think that people could use to explore chronic pain, isn't it? Uh, back pain and that sort of thing, and it's it's not really sort of that well known here. It isn't. Yeah, I think um, I suppose I'm coming from a general practice perspective, and for example, um, I would like to see it being used more in rehabilitation, etc. And I just haven't heard the word mentioned until very recently. Well, um, I think it's uh, there are several 
Australian um, trainings going on, as a matter of fact, where people mm-hmm. can actually become Feldenkrais practitioners in Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, the Australian Feldenkrais Guild is very, very active. So I think that if people want to search for something yes. like that, they can easily find it. Yes, yes, it'll become more common knowledge and better known. Well, it's true. I mean, if you think about, um, you know, even 20 years ago, the word chiropractor, nobody knew what that meant. Yes. And now it's a common word. Yes. Uh, the URL for the Australian Feldenkrais Guild is org. Thank you. Great. Okay. And you've another book that you've released already or you're about to release? No, it's, it's actually coming out in 2007. 2007. That's very confident of you. Uh, well, no, it's, uh, it's already at the publisher. It's already there. Well done. We have, we have, a, we have a sort of a release date planned for um, early, win- whatever that is, January, February 2007. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited about it. It's called Walking Your Talk. Body language as the key to personal power. Wow, that sounds fantastic. I'm thrilled. It's been a wonderful process with my editor um, over at Penguin. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very excited about it because I think it'll bring a whole new audience to Feldenkrais. Yes, it sounds like it. I agree with you. I think we've got in just at the right time. I think we're being very avant-garde talking to you. <laughs> oh, you are? <laughs> really? <laughs> I had this feeling. <laughs> well, I hope you have me back on the show when the next book comes out. That would be absolutely wonderful. And thank you so much. It's been a very interesting discussion. And I hope that our listeners have gained another perspective that they may not have had before. I've been speaking to Lavinia Plonka, author, speaker, workshop leader, Guild-certified Feldenkrais teacher, director of the Asheville Movement Centre. If you'd like those website addresses again, it's www.feldenkrais.org. Thank you very much for listening to Wellbeing Today and from all of us here, we wish you well.